All right, let's get started. So those who are watching online can hear us. So everyone give a shout of hello. <laughs> you all are not alone watching online. We're here. We're talking about one of the most famous stories in the Bible today. It's kind of right up there with Noah's Ark, David and Goliath. We're talking about David and Bathsheba. David and Goliath and David and Bathsheba, we're talking about the same David. Uh, Leonard Cohen's song, Hallelujah, David and Bathsheba story is what that's about. Um, the story starts out in 2 Samuel. Kevin, I might need your help with the clicker. Oh, there it is. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. This is setting the story for us. It's springtime, so we go out and we plant our flowers and we go on hikes and we go to war because it's nice out. And that's just what you did back then 3,000 years ago. You go to war all the time. But David sends his army out to war. David stays in Jerusalem and takes a nap. He's not involved in the battle. And it says, this is some irony in the story here, kind of setting you up for a theme. The army ravaged the Ammonites. And the irony here is David is going to be doing his own ravaging. The story goes on. It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. A couple things to note about this passage. It doesn't say his house. It says the king's house. So this is telling us that David is a king. David is the most powerful man in the country. He was walking on the roof, and he saw a woman from the roof bathing. Bathsheba wasn't on a roof naked bathing, which is typically how the story is told. David's on a roof, and he's looking down. Bathsheba was probably in an inner courtyard of her home uh, or a garden, so this isn't a story of a seductress being naked on the roof trying to get attention. This is a classic Peeping Tom story. Do, do you see the Peeping Tom in this lineup, ma'am? Can you see the Peeping Tom pop his head out from the bottom? This is not a seductress story. This is a Peeping Tom story. David was a little bit creepy. So David was king. Bathsheba was a woman who was a subject of the king. David was the one in power. So the story is about a power imbalance. And there's something interesting to note about this story that I did not hear in uh, the Sunday school classes as a child about this story. David was not some lonely man who was just dying for some uh, companionship and affection and falling in love. David had eight wives, and the story in First Samuel or Second Samuel at the beginning of the uh, the book sets that up. So David was not lonely. 
He had at least wives, and he had several concubines on top of that. His first wife, Michal, he actually stole from a man, her husband. So David's first wife was already married to another man, and he took her from the man, because that's kind of what kings do. They take what they want. And it says that her husband grieved, but he couldn't do anything about it because David was the king. You can't say no to the king. So here in 2 Samuel, when he sees Bathsheba, he does what kings did at the time. He took. So David sent someone to inquire about the woman, and it was reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David learns a little bit about Bathsheba and finds out that she is married. So David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him. Notice it doesn't say David asked if she could come see him. He sent messengers to get her. He took. When a king, the most powerful person, man in the country, makes a demand of you, you do not say no. There are consequences and politics of that time. And he lay with her. She was purifying herself after her period. It was the custom of the time um, to do that, a ritual. And then she returned to her house. Bathsheba has often been portrayed throughout history, not as a victim, uh, but as a seductress, and a lot of the paintings that we see from the Renaissance period is what I mentioned earlier, Bathsheba is on a roof and she's naked. And uh, she's almost like she's longing for someone to watch her, longing for the attention. And Henry King's movie from 1951, David and Bathsheba, Bathsheba is portrayed as someone who despised her husband and somebody who had a horrible relationship with her husband. And she was sad because of her lack of love and desired to be with David. That's not what the text says. That's what people have chosen to say about Bathsheba. That's not what the text says. I grew up watching Veggie Tales. Do you all know what Veggie Tales? Um, for those of you who don't know, VeggieTales is an animated cartoon, a Christian cartoon, that takes Bible stories and adapts them for children and uses talking vegetables and fruits to do that. Um, they took a stab at the David and Bathsheba story for kids. And because it was such an edgy story for kids, they took some liberties with the story. Um, they called it King George and the Ducky. So King George is actually King David. Who do you think the Ducky is? Bathsheba. In the VeggieTales version, King George is collecting all of his rubber duckies. He has an obsession with rubber duckies. And he sees a rubber ducky that he likes, and he tries to get it. I don't think VeggieTales was consciously intentional about this, but they've essentially uh, turned Bathsheba into an object to be taken. And that it's kind of possibly what David did. He saw her as an object and he took. Dana Gresh, 
Uh, she is really popular in purity culture in the evangelical world, and she has written books on modesty for uh, teenage girls. And she said this about Bathsheba. Why don't we talk about Bathsheba's sin? It could have been that Bathsheba, in a state of loneliness, caused by a husband gone to battle, desired spectators. That's often been the view of Bathsheba. I think that's victim-blaming. I don't think it was Bathsheba's fault that David wanted her. Boy, I really connect with this graphic. Things that cause rape. A list. Short skirts, being drunk, flirting. No. Things that cause rape. Rapists cause rape. I think Possibly this is what happened in the story of David and Bathsheba. There is an extreme power uh, disparity between David and Bathsheba, and David took advantage of that. Verse 5, the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. These are the only words that Bathsheba is recorded as to have said in this story, I am pregnant. doesn't say how she felt. She's scared. Terrified. Was she afraid of what her husband would say when he found out? Was she ashamed? Did she feel taken advantage of? We don't know. Her husband is off at war. The Gospel Coalition editor, um, Matt Smethurst, last fall, a few months ago, tweeted about Bathsheba. He lists all of these characters in the Bible to show how even the best characters in the Bible are flawed, how we all have flaws. He said, Adam fell, Noah got drunk, Abraham lied, Jacob cheated, Moses murdered, Rahab prostituted, David fornicated, Jonah fled, Thomas doubted, Peter denied, Paul persecuted, we rebelled, Jesus redeems. Rachel Denhollander is an evangelical Christian, and she's also a sexual abuse victim advocate. She commented on Matt's tweet and offered a correction. David did not fornicate, David raped. It's important that we get that right. David raped. Frank Underwood said everything is about sex except sex. Sex is about power. I do wonder if that's true. That this situation, this abuse between David and Bathsheba was an abuse of power. The story goes on after Bathsheba says that I am pregnant. It says, David sent this word to Joab, who was the military commander on the battlefield. Send me Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband. And Joab sent him to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Why would he say, well, maybe he's off to battle and his feet really stunk. 
and David couldn't take it and said, you go home and wash your feet. Or uh, the more likely scenario is the reality that wash your feet was a euphemism in the ancient world for sexual intercourse. Why, I don't know. But David was saying, go home and have sex with your wife. You've been at battle a long time. Why would he say that? If Uriah sleeps with his wife, then when he finds out she's pregnant, he's going to think he's the father and no one else. This is a scandal. It's a political scandal, a sex scandal. It's a cover-up. Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my commander and Lord's men are camped in the open country. How can I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. How can I relax and just go home when all of my comrades are fighting on the battlefield and I'm here? He was trying to maintain his integrity and his honor. He said, I can't. While my comrades are fighting, defending us, I can't just go home and relax. Some commentators believe that because Uriah uh, spent a lot of time with David's servants, uh, Uriah probably got word of what happened with Bathsheba and David. Some commentators believe that it's possible Uriah knew he didn't go to the house because he didn't want to give in to David covering up the scandal. Um, he kind of subverted David's power. So David, because Uriah wouldn't go home, he uh, put a new plan in motion. He uh, sent Joab back to the battlefield with Uriah. He told Joab to put Uriah on the front lines of the battle in front of the enemy's most dangerous soldiers. So Uriah goes to battle and he's killed. Um, and David does that to kill Uriah so that Uriah will never find out that David um, took Bathsheba and raped her and impregnated her. So he has Uriah killed. And when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him because this wasn't a love affair. Uriah and Bathsheba were married and in love. She mourned because she lost her husband. She mourned because she probably knew on some level why her husband died. But the text doesn't say. She may not have ever found out why Uriah died and what David did to kill Uriah. Who are the victims in this story? Who holds the power in this story? Could Bathsheba really have said no to King David? Did she really have a choice in the matter? This story is not about love. It is about power, rape, and a cover-up. And this story reminded me of some modern-day stories. Uh, October 2017, Alyssa Milano, actor, treated, or tweeted a request to her followers. She said, if you've been sexually harassed or assaulted, write me too. 
And by the next morning, almost 40,000 people had replied, me too. Through the midst, through the midst of that movement, it came to light a lot of men who had abused their positions of power in society. And one of those men was Harvey Weinstein. And he admitted um, that when he was responsible for determining who would appear in the movies that he was producing, um, he would have what was he called a casting call, casting couch. Um, if the women did what he asked in those situations, and he would often give them roles in his films. And if they did not, they refused. Um, for some, it meant their career in Hollywood was over. He went to court, gosh, I think it was just this past week. Um, he was convicted of two crimes, um, one for rape and one for a criminal sexual act. And uh, Justice Burke said that this is a first conviction, but it's not a first offense. Uh, Weinstein allegedly had groped, harassed, and assaulted at least 90 women. And his charge was for two. Um, he got 23 years in prison. The verdict was made as a response to uh, Miriam Haley, Jessica Mann, who, who testified, who were victims and survivors of his abuse. Harvey Weinstein abused his position of power. He took because he could. He tweeted this. And he didn't tweet this. He said this in court, and it was tweeted by uh, Variety. He said, I am totally confused, and I think men are confused about all of this, this feeling of thousands of men and women who are losing due process. I am worried about this country. This is not the right atmosphere in the United States of America. What the hell? <laughs> this is not a 3,000-year-old problem that was a long time ago in the ancient world with kings and their subjects. It's happening today over and over and over. And the abuser has the right to say, I don't understand why I would get 23 years in prison for this. This isn't right. Oh man, Psalm 51 is a psalm that David is said to have written during the time of uh, that he was married to Bathsheba, and it was a response to his guilt over um, what he had done to Bathsheba and Uriah. The psalm starts out for the director of music. This is a song that they would have sung in their church services 3,000 years ago. The Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, the prophet Nathan is the guy who confronted David uh, boldly and said, what you did was 
awful and wrong, and God is uh, incredibly angry with you. And David kind of owned up to his faults there. He said, have mercy on me, God, according to your faithful love. Wipe away my wrongdoings according to your great compassion. I kind of have a problem with David saying that. I get how he's feeling. He wants the extreme guilt to go away. But you can't just make it disappear. The damage has been done. People are hurting. He says, wash me completely clean of my guilt. Purify me from my sin because I know my wrongdoings. My sin is always right in front of me. I've committed evil in your sight. And that's why you are justified when you render your verdict. Completely correct when you issue your judgment. I wish Harvey Weinstein would have at least had the guts to say that. Yeah, I have really done wrong. This verdict is right. For every reported act of sexual assault, there are so, so, so many that are not reported, that are kept hidden. For those that are reported, and for those that rape kits are actually done on people, there are thousands of rape kits that are sitting on shelves. Cases like this with Harvey give me a glimmer of hope that society is not okay with this anymore. They've been okay. We've been okay with this abuse of power too long. We've been okay with it in our churches, with all of the churches, Catholic Church, Southern Baptist Convention, um, the past couple of years where it came to light all of the cases of sexual abuse that were covered up and not reported to the police. And we've been okay with it for too long. And it's not okay. I think it is important that our sacred scripture contains these stories and we need to talk about them. And they're still important today because we need to talk today about abuses of power toward uh, women. Toward the end of their lives, David and Bathsheba, um, they got married right after. Let me pull up that verse. After the time of mourning was over, David had Bathsheba brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. The thing David had done displeased the Lord. The text says that as a punishment for David's sin, that child was, he, child died. Um, that's messed up that an innocent child would be the one to suffer for David's wrongdoings. Perhaps the child died, and the writers of the story attributed it to um, what David had done. I don't know. Toward the end of David's life, he died when he was about 70 years old, which is really old for that time period. And the, the Bible says that David could no longer have sex. And Bathsheba approaches David And she gets a little bit of her power back. Um, He asks David to, or tells David, to make Solomon, her son, 
king over Israel and to take David's place when Solomon was not the rightful heir and David uh, um, says yes. So we do hear in the text a little bit of her voice being heard and a little bit of her power restored. Um, That's not the last that we hear of her. If you read Matthew 1, the gospel of Jesus, Matthew 1 gives a genealogy of Jesus' life. It says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. The fact that Matthew even includes women in the genealogy is radical. The fact that he include that you didn't do that in the ancient world. You don't put women in the genealogy because they didn't have enough worth and power in society to be named in the family line. Matthew did that. He was subverting the patriarchy by doing so. And notice that it does not say whose mother had been David's wife. Bathsheba was Uriah's wife. So what, what is Matthew saying here? Matthew is reminding every person who reads his gospel of the abuse and the violence that happened by David to Bathsheba and Uriah. The writer of Matthew is saying, we need to remember Bathsheba's story. We need to remember what was done to Uriah. Not forget it. So Bathsheba becomes a part of the family lineage to Jesus. What this text tells me is that even within the biblical story, Bathsheba was, her story was not only her abuse and her trauma. It was a lot bigger than that. I think that's a good message for us today. That our, our story, your story, is not only your abuse and your trauma. Not only. That's not all it is. It is bigger. That abuse and trauma has to be integrated into our stories. But it's not all it is. So I think we should follow Matthew's road of reminding one another, remembering Bathsheba and her story. But we need to listen to those who share their stories of abuse and power and balances. We need to hear them. We need to listen, acknowledge them. And some of us, we need to follow David's lead. And when we need to say, I totally messed up. And what I did was wrong. Sometimes we need to own up to that too. We need to do that in our churches. We need to do that in our politics. We need to do that in the business world. We need to do that in our relationships. I took advantage of, my, of someone with less power in that situation. The story goes on for David and uh, David's children. And we see this cycle of abuse carry on. 
and Kate's going to talk about that story uh, next week um, as we continue this series. That's not a lighthearted story, is it? Boy, that's such a difference to hear the text compared to the VeggieTales version. I am so encouraged that this story is in our text. Uh, one tradition throughout Christian history during communion has been before we take communion to kind of do a check-in with yourself. Um, For some, it has been a check-in of what sins have I committed this week that I need to ask forgiveness for? And there may, we may need to do that. I may need to ask, have I taken advantage of someone this week? Have I um, abused my power and privilege to anyone this week? That's a valid question to ask myself. Um, For many of us, I want us to take communion uh, to the Eucharist, which means to give thanks. Uh, and as we do so, to remember that God is the one who restores the power and balances. That where there is abuse of power, God wants us to name it and call it out. That is a divine call for us to do. So our communion, our Eucharist, our giving thanks is just that. As we do this, I want us to give thanks to God. That there is hope in this world. That there is hope in the midst of um, those abuses of power. That there is justice. Harvey Weinstein gives me a little hope that there is justice. That God is a God of not um, a justice that destroys retributive justice, but a restorative justice that breathes new life into people. That restorative justice is a type of justice that says, my dream is not that Harvey Weinstein would get the death sentence, but my dream is that he would own up to his wrongdoing and be completely changed and stop abusing his power and that he would be transformed and not that he would be destroyed or killed. That is our hope for the world. God, you are the defender of the powerless, the voice for the voiceless, the hope for the hopeless. 
may you move us to be the same. We thank you for the hope, the peace, the life that you bring. In Christ's name, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. We'll see you next time.